If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on our show each week, send us an email over at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Behold, the genius Lanny Popper, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video score. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello again, wrestling fans. Welcome to the Genius Cast. My name is Lanny Poffo, and this is my co-host... JP Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com. And I have to say, feedback to last week's show with Jim Duggan was overwhelmingly positive. Even some have been saying that Jim, alongside Fred Ottman, is the nicest person in professional wrestling. I get the subtle distinction. You don't think I'm that nice. <laughs> well, I wasn't including you on that list, Lanny. Well, maybe you didn't mean to be subtle, but anyway... I feel offended. No, I don't. I don't. I think those are great guys, and uh, they—they. They, I'm very appreciative they came on the Genius Cast, and uh, the fans are too. Jim's an absolute legend. I mean, he's worked through so many eras of professional wrestling, and he certainly had some good stories to share. Go back to last week's show if you haven't already, and let us know what you think on social media at the Genius Cast or by email at the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. In fact, use your phone to record a little message for us, and we'll be happy to put it in a future episode. Sounds like a winner. Oh! Now, at the time of this recording, NWA just had their 70th anniversary show. You wrestled many years in the 70s in the NWA, and then also, when you, Randy, and your father, Angelo, were running the ICW territory, ICW was considered an outlaw promotion. What is your history with the NWA, and out of curiosity, what were the perks and pitfalls of running against them rather than with them? Well, the pitfall was I never wanted to do it. I was just uh, doing very well on the road, uh, saving my money, enjoying life. And I knew that being a promoter was going to be very difficult. And uh, it was. And uh, But we all got through it. And uh, looking back on it, got some great memories of all of it. The pinnacle of my career with the NWA was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I wrestled Harley Race. And uh, that was like, at the time, one of the best matches of my life, uh, second only to my matches with Terry Funk and Dory Funk Jr. Now, these are the chances to get in there with the world champion. Absolutely. He's one of the best. Did you find him to be a bit stiff at all, or was he very easy to work with? I think he found me stiff, okay? (laughs) he He was the guy that could work with the broom. I supplied the broom. Now, as we know, Lanny's been in Japan for the last couple weeks doing color commentating for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he just had a chance to catch up with legendary play-by-play announcer Kevin Kelly from the Sakana Center off Dory Street in Shibuya, Japan. We're going to bring you this special interview now. Hello, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo, and I've got a very, very special guest, 
the voice of New Japan Pro Wrestling, a very personal longtime friend of mine, Mr. Kevin Kelly. Kevin, on behalf of Mavs Gillis and myself, thank you for your praise and your constructive criticism in our performance. It's uh, been a great opportunity to see you guys in both of your kind of New Japan infancy and kind of watching the seed grow, uh, the progression from the first couple of shows that you did to last night. Um, I think it's great. The fact that Mavs, I, I asked him the other day and this blew my mind. Hey, uh, how much experience do you have? How many, when did, you know, when did you do your first show? Uh, September 18th, 2018. Wait, the first show you ever did in wrestling was the other night at Corkin? Yes. Oh my gosh. So yeah. That's what a young lion is all about. It's, it's interesting to think about in terms of uh, where we are in the industry now. And there's so much media and so much presence. There's so many ways that people can access. Look at us. We're sitting here in Japan. We're recording an interview on a phone that's going to air on a podcast that's available to fans all around the world. That immediacy and that connection with the audience has never been more present. You don't need to have a big television network um, to be seen and heard by millions of people. Yes, and what really meant a lot to me is not just the fact that you reached out to help us in our performance. It's just the camaraderie that we shared. And the whole experience, like if they never invite me back to New Japan, I've got some memories that I'm never going to get rid of because I'm going to take it to my grave because this was like the best two weeks of my life. Did you tell the story to your listeners oh, yes. about Rick, oh, yes. meeting Ricky Dozan's wife? Yes, that was the that was the most poignant of them all. I've already done it to death, but um, you have a lot of uh, friendship with uh, Freddie Blassie, and of course, he was one of the biggest opponents of Ricky Dozan. I did the. I was honored to be tapped when I was with WWE. I was there from '96 to 2003, and I did a lot of things that. You know, of course, I was on television a lot and did a lot of interviews with The Rock and et cetera. But one of the best things I ever got to do was do the last interview, recorded interview with Freddie Blassie. Um, I didn't realize it at the time. But just before I was getting ready to leave to go to Freddie's house to do the interview, um, Linda McMahon called me and said, uh, come over, meet with me. I want to talk to you real quick. Meet with her briefly. She says, um, this might be the last time anybody gets to interview Freddie. He's not in great health. So get as much as you can from him. You know, you have a good relationship with him. And I was honored to be able to do that. We were together for about four hours that afternoon. The first 45 minutes or so could never make air because it was Freddie just being Freddie with a lot of F-bombs and a lot of good salty stories that he had told me previous. Um, and I said, okay, Freddie, that was great. Now let's do it for TV. I asked him one question. He basically did the same 45 minutes, now shortened to 30 because he took out all the F-bombs and told the exact same stories. Um, he was brilliant. And he, he recounted like his time here in Japan, how he met his wife. His wife at the time was a rising movie star. And they fell in love. It was love at first sight. And she basically was told by the powers that be here in Japan, you need to make a choice. It's either Freddie or your career. And she chose Freddie and was with him till the day he died. So they had a beautiful love story. Uh, they were a wonderful couple. And he was an amazing man who made history in almost in the pre-television era, just as, as television was in its infancy in wrestling, not just in Los Angeles, but then also here in Japan, setting records, uh, drawing huge houses with Ricky Dozan. And uh, rumor has it in the story is causing people to die of heart attacks while they're watching 
uh, Blassi attack this national icon hero in Rikidozan uh, here in Japan. So um, amazing journey. What a life that man led. Right. And, you know, my father was great friends with Freddie Blassie, too. And um, Freddie's famous for something else. He was the cleanest man in professional wrestling, as long as you don't count Iron Mike Shark. No. Iron – Mike loved that shower, boy. Well, he was <laughs> – Mike was capital OCD, and Freddie was OCD with a – just but, but a little bit of sensibility thrown in. Yeah. I heard the story about Sharp that uh, one time they had – he was showering again for the whatever time of the day and basically shut the lights out in the building. He Then they locked the doors and he was trapped. <laughs> yes, and uh, he was a slave to his habits, unfortunately. But We uh, all are to a certain extent. Yes, yes. Um, now, you've been coming to Japan for New Japan for how long? Three years. Uh, it was three years in October. And, and, when, and when I started, I had done New Japan matches because of New Japan's involvement with Ring of Honor. But... I wasn't truly devoted to New Japan Pro Wrestling. I knew it at the surface level, but I hadn't done the deep dive and I didn't understand it at its core. And that took some time. It was, I, I, I always famously say, first time I did the show here, it was October of 2015, it was King of Pro Wrestling. And I didn't know what I didn't know until I knew I didn't know it. Uh, and, I, and so I knew after that first show, I needed to do that deep dive to understand it at a cellular level and that I needed to make this my life. So there was a lot of critics of me uh, and the performance I did. Um, and I reached out to some of those people. Uh, the New Japan Purecast, which is now the Super J cast. Um, those guys really took me to task. So I reached out to them. I knew one of the guys on the show. I had met him 20 years ago working for Dennis Coluso. And... I said, hey, I appreciate the feedback. I promise I'm going to do better. And I took all of those critiques to heart and improved and got better each and every show to where now I can help someone like you kind of get going in your journey because this was your first experience here in Japan and your first experience with New Japan at a live event, being able to see it and experience it and feel it. And to get to meet and shake hands and talk with Tanahashi and Naito and talk to those guys and understand who they are and to see them for the stars that they are and realize that they're as big as your brother. They're as big as Hogan, big as Stone Cold, big as The Rock. You know, they are at that level, just in a different universe. And now the world is getting smaller because of technology today and everybody gets to see New Japan Pro Wrestling. Live events all the time, just like we did last night. Now, Kevin, you were telling me about a social media that for people that are new to New Japan and how can they improve their acumen. And I would like to get in on that because I'm making a promise right now to you and to thousands of listeners of the Genius Cast. Next time I come here, if I'm lucky enough to come here, I'm going to be more prepared, mm -hmm. more educated so that I can give more to the business that I've been taking so much from. What is this? What is the name of this social media? It's really not a. It, it's it doesn't have a specific title. It's more of an organic community that has grown, and and really, I've seen a lot of it through my Twitter account at Real Kevin Kelly. Fans from all walks of life. Uh, for a for example, a fan uh, who is in the U.S. military. She serves our country in Germany. 
and is just recently transferring from the Army to the Air Force. She runs the Postal Service for the military. Um, she is she has become a huge New Japan fan. She has well, she also loves Kenny Omega. So she um, she has traveled all over the world to see him and to see New Japan events. We followed her journey. There is a, a great site that uh, the Harry Wrestling fan Harry because he has this tremendous beard and his journey as as a new fan coming on board and doing deep dives and understanding the history and learning about some of the stories. And then him sharing his experiences with others and then those people getting to grow and different. And there's some controversy right now because New Japan has kind of taken a harder stance on folks sharing uh, and making their own videos and things like that. But whether it's been show buckle videos or fans that do gifts of, of the live events, it's all of this community and we're all in this together. I've, I will do research, you know in preparing for events like Power Struggle that's coming up and I'll read some of the material that's written by fans and I will share that on the air and I'll give them credit. And then that begins to grow organically. My fans will, and the listeners of New Japan World, they will then follow those people and read their stuff and share their experiences and it grows one person at a time. It takes, you know, many, many hands make light work and it, it cannot just be one source of heat that lifts the balloon. You know, it's a lot of small flames that take off. So I think what you should do, my advice to you, is to connect with these people and to start to read and to start to research and to start to see the product through their eyes. And then that will help you through your journey as, and I truly believe that, that um, your, your spark and your passion was lit on this tour. You didn't know what you didn't know until you knew you didn't know it. And now that you're here and you're doing it, and I see the way you are interacting with the boys and uh, experiencing the Shinkansen for the first time, you know, it was like, it was like uh, a, a childlike. That, that's a bullet train, by the way. It yeah. goes three million miles an hour. It and, was amazing uh, to watch you <laughs> it was like, at the window seat, just basically looking out the window and amazed at this technological engineering marvel that we were on. By the way, we need some in America. Yeah, please. If any politicians are listening to this, the bullet train is an amazing. Well, I understand they're going to go from Orlando to Tampa, which would be great for our community because, and then uh, from Orlando to Miami, which mm -hmm. would be also great. But it goes very fast and quickly. And I'll tell you what, I have to say something to the Genius Cast fans. I don't want to embarrass you. Okay. But you tried unsuccessfully to make me look good at the end of the show. <laughs> and I, I looked at you and I gave you a senior moment, uh, that dull look in my eyes when you, he, honestly, Kevin tried to make me look good. And I said, huh? I said, oh, that thing you told me. Yes, I wrote it down somewhere. Oh my God. He tried to give me some, so I could be like better versed in my subject matter. And um, it's like, it's like he was showing me his answers on the final exam but I was too dull to look or something. But anyway, thank you for trying. I'm sorry I couldn't, I fumbled the ball, That's but okay. you, know what you know what I mean? It's like, I, it means a lot to me. I want the fans to know that he tried to make me look good <laughs> and I could not take advantage. But um, I just want to say thank you because, oh, there's a lot of people in this wrestling business that wouldn't do what you tried to do. Thank you. And it was the effort that means so much to me, well, the effort. Lanny, you don't need this. You don't need this. 
you don't need New Japan Pro Wrestling. You had a successful career. You are retired now because of all of your successes, right? You do this podcast out of the generosity of your time because you have a message to share with your fans. Um, there's value in this for you. and But this whole journey has spoken to your heart. And I see that. And I know you and I have so many mutual friends in the industry. And there are a lot of guys that if they were in the same spot as you, would take the payday and yeah, brother, and do everything, you know, and make everything sound good. But at the end of the day, they would walk away and it would just be another booking. This was not just another booking for you. This was a life-changing experience for you that I think is going to carry you now through these next few years. And this will be the next um, level of success that you attain because you're a, you're a hardworking guy. You always have been. And you will put the work in and you will do what it takes to be that good. Um, and so it won't be a question of you being invited back. It will be a question of you earning your spot to come back. And I think that that will be uh, a great journey to watch to see you uh, grow as, a, as an announcer and grow as a, a fan of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Well, when you look at the hierarchy here, you look at the young lions that are just living on hopes and dreams, no right. money, no fame, no glory, no women, but they just get their butt kicked every day through wrestling Suzuki and squats and Suzuki and, you know, ow, and let me go and no, right. you're not a man. Okay, and then that 98% of them quit and the 2% that remain are probably going to not make it either. But then for every one of those, then comes the rainmaker. Right. You know, like the the one bright light, just like in Broadway. For every light on Broadway, there's a million broken hearts. Well, that's the way it is in New Japan. And these people demand our respect. And I want to show them respect by learning the product. And then instead of me having a question and going to you, I would like somebody to have a question and come to me. Right. And imagine if we can take... So your your wrestling career began in 1973? Yes. So uh, that was 45 years ago. Now imagine if we can take that 45 years of experience and then also, by the way, New Japan Pro Wrestling began in 1972. So your career and New Japan's life are almost completely parallel. So you can trace your steps back in your career of where you were when this famous event happened. And you can start to connect the dots between I wrestled this guy who then wrestled Inoki, who then wrestled this one, who then was here and did that. And I think that will be the, the perspective that you will be able to add to the broadcasts in the future that no one else can, because there isn't anybody else. There's only one Lanny Poffo, and there's only one guy that has had the life that you've lived and to be able to tell those stories, but through the eyes of a New Japan pro wrestling fan, being able to speak to them at that cellular level. I think it's going to take it to a whole, the whole experience is going to be on par with nothing else that's ever been done. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the fact that you came on my show and um, JP Zarka, wherever you are, uh, I am. Yeah, met. where is he? He's not here. Why is he not? Where uh, is he? He's, he's in this, he's in a, a small suburban town of London. Oh, I it, thought he was like under the bed or something. London, England of the United Kingdom. Gotcha. But he, but he doesn't talk like this. He talks like Chicago, just like He's me. He's a Chicagoan. He's a Chicagoan. But Kevin, I wanted to ask you one more question and keep it broad-minded. Yes. Like Terry Funk, I'm not against anything that's going to get over. <laughs> okay. If you had 
Never mind New Japan. Never mind the fact that you have mentored me. Never mind all that. I have a something to ask you. You are talking to God knows who. Mm-hmm. What message do you have to impart to anybody at any time right now? If it's the last thing you say on this earth, what was your like to have as your legacy? Well, I've had a a long career. Uh, this is my 28th year of professional wrestling. I started in 1991. And to uh, we worked together on a show which... Uh, for our dear friend or our late friend, Jim Neidhart, uh, many years ago in the state of Florida. Um, along the way, I've had amazing opportunities to work with incredible stars, the biggest names in the industry. Um, the work that I'm doing now, though, is my legacy. And the fact that I'm bringing New Japan Pro Wrestling to the world and helping to bring on board thousands and thousands and thousands of people from every corner of the globe to uh, this small, relatively small island on the globe. And to be able to show them exactly why this is the wrestling that we all love. We all want wrestling to be what we remember it to be or what we hope it could be. Well, New Japan Pro Wrestling is that product. And all we ask is that you give one opportunity to check it out and take the leap and join us and come on board this community because we're all having so much fun growing and learning each day. I get better every day because of the experiences that I have with the fans online, the fans that we meet in the arenas. We shook hands last night with young fans who didn't have a clue who we were, but they saw us in our suits and they thought we were somebody and they were eating sandwiches before the show and they shook our, we shook hands with them and talked to them and, um, it was just amazing, you know, and that's what I want my legacy to be. Um, that's what I want my message to be. I want fans to remember me for everything that I've done in my career, of course, but I want this to be the first line on my epitaph when I die. I want it to be Kevin Kelly, New Japan Pro Wrestling announcer. Well, Kevin, it's nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. And I want to thank you for being my friend, and I'm going to do everything I can to be yours, too. Oh, we're going to, we're going to hold you to this, man. You're going to be held accountable by me and a lot of folks. So we look forward to seeing you on your journey. Thank you, Landy. You're awesome. No, you are, the, you are awesome. You are the man. Thank you so much. And you've heard it from Kevin Kelly, a fantastic guest on the Genius Cast. Thank you so much. Now, how about that? That was a fantastic interview with Kevin Kelly. He gave a lot of great advice. You know, just three years ago, he started his journey in New Japan, and he knew what it was like to start somewhere new, not be accepted by the fans right away, and he went about it the right way. He approached the fans. He followed the social media accounts. He got onto podcasts, and he was taken to task, and I think there's something to be learned from that. Lanny's got the fire about New Japan. I've been on the phone with him privately for the last couple of weeks. He's loving every minute of it, and he's taken on board all bits of advice, encouragement, and constructive feedback. Listen to us on this show, and we'll be able to tell you where things go from here. Again, thank you to Kevin Kelly for being on our show. That was really wonderful for our listeners, and I can assure you I wasn't under their bed during the recording of that interview. <laughs> It's
It's a pleasure to have Nick Dinsmore with us here today on the Genius Cast. How are things going for you out there in Sioux Falls? Fantastic. Sioux Falls is the best little city in America. We've got a 2% unemployment rate here, and uh, I've got the only pro wrestling game in town in Sioux Falls, so I'm living the dream. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great, uh, much better than I look. I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you so much for agreeing to this interrogation. <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited. We're excited, too. Now, you had quite the resume in wrestling. In WWE, you were World Tag Team Champion with William Regal, as well as a 10-time OVW Heavyweight Champion and an 11-time OVW Southern Tag Team Champion. Take us back to the start. Where did you first find inspiration to become a wrestler? Um, Market Square Arena, Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, both Macho Man and, and Leaping Lanny were, were touring and I got to go as a young child and, and I, I watched uh, WWE. I first started watching Saturday Night's main event and just I was hooked. I was about seven or eight years old and uh, I, I realized that, that that was what I wanted to do right then and there. Did you get one of Lanny's Frisbees? I wasn't close enough to, uh, to get it, but um, I, had a, uh, I had a Macho Man school folder and I... Uh, stapled it to a uh, those, those sticks that you use when you're painting, how you mix up the can of paint. So I had my own little, uh, uh, I had like a picket sign. <laughs> it, was, it was a school folder. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had a Macho Man folder in my Trapper Keeper as well. That's awesome. In <laughs> the Trapper Keeper. In the Trapper Keeper. <laughs> you debuted in 96, but before then, how did you get into uh, training? Who trained you? Where did you train? Well, I started training in uh, 1996. And then I was in uh, uh, the Louisville, Kentucky area. Uh, the Nightmare Danny Davis and the Hustler Rip Rogers were two of the people that, that trained me. And then when Ohio Valley Wrestling partnered with the WWE to train their uh, developmental talent in 1998, I was then hired in 1999 to be a, a crash test dummy almost for the, the guys that they were sending there. And the first class of developmental talent included John Cena, and Brock Lesnar, and Batista, Randy Orton, Victoria, Shelton Benjamin, um, a whole big crew of guys that I was uh, fortunate enough to, to help train when, when they were first hired. Give us some stories of training these guys. I mean, we know how they turned out in the end, but when you first met the likes of John Cena, Batista, Randy Orton, did you think that they'd be on to greatness right away? Um, I, I, I assumed they would be because uh, most of the people that they would be hired went on to uh, to become stars. There was... A handful of, of bigger guys like that. I mean, just genetic specimens that, that didn't make it. But I, I became good friends with all of them. And um, at the time, I was just happy to be there. I mean, I, I I never assumed that I would make it all the way to the WWE. And I was just excited to be a part of the group and help form the uh, the, the talent. And I mean, John Cena had the, the biggest legs I'd ever seen in my life. And Batista was just enormous. And Brock Lesnar was, was I mean one of the nicest and, and, and most humble guys that I'd ever met. And uh, Randy Orton was, was the son of Cowboy Bob Orton. So I was just, I was really excited just to take part in, in their training. Now, Jim Cornette, he was a big fan of yours. And on numerous occasions, he said that you were a great employee, fantastic baby face, and had good looks to boot. How was it working for Jim? Jim was great. He was in the WWE office um, when I was hired in Connecticut. And then he moved back to Louisville to help uh, to help the, the, the territory, if that's what we want to call it. And uh, he like he he's the one that really helped me go from being 
a wrestler to then understanding a little bit more entertainment and, and a little bit more storylines. And then he was the one that, that, that really wrote Nick Dinsmore as the top babyface in Louisville and put me in a position to be, you know, known around Louisville as a, as, as a star. I mean, he, he, he very much helped my career. I mean, being a 10 time champion, give me some of the notable feuds that you had. Um, Doug Basham, who went on to be one half of the Basham brothers, as well as Danny Basham. And uh, the Iron Man, Rob Conway, was my partner for a long time and, and until the vicious turn, and we had a long time feud. Probably the best matches I had in Louisville were, were, were against Conway and Doug Basham and Danny Basham, as well as the hus- hustler Rip Rogers. When I first started wrestling, Rip was still wrestling, and he was, you know, I, I was a 19-year-old kid, and, and Rip was, was a 42-year-old bodybuilding man, fairly fresh off of WCW and, and, and really helped, helped mold me in the ring and taught me how to perform matches in the ring. One of the best minds in the business. In fact, we just had him on the phone about a week ago for a future episode, and it's always good to hear his stories and listen to his advice. Yeah, Rip, Rip, phenomenal. He, I can't give him enough credit to shaping Eugene. He, he, he's the one that really gave me the idea for Eugene, and I, I presented it to, uh, to Vince McMahon on a suggestion that Rip gave me, and, and that was, I mean, he's, he's without a doubt the reason for Eugene. You mentioned Rob Conway. He was one half of the Los Conquistadores when you went up to WWF at some point, and you also had a stint as Doink the Clown. Now, Younger Me was a huge Doink fan, and I'm interested in hearing how that came about and what your experiences were like portraying the role of Doink. Well, first and foremost, I think Doink the Clown needs to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. No I'm doubt. petitioning right now that Doink the Clown is a character uh, worthy of Hall of Fame. I remember Rob and I went up, and we were extras. We were both under contract and just excited to be there. And they said, uh, you two are going to wrestle Rey Mysterio and Billy Kidman tonight on SmackDown. All right, but you're going to be conquistadors. But we didn't get the, the, the gold outfits. We got like a, a different, I, I don't know where, I've never seen them since, but we were uh, two of the conquistadors over the history of the conquistadors. And then a pay-per-view came up and they said, oh, we need the conquistadors again. Oh, but we want Doink. So Nick, let's have you play Doink. So I got to uh, represent Doink on the JBL's Barroom Brawl, as well as, um, I believe it was the episode of SmackDown. And uh, it was, uh, I, I mean, it was, it was fun to do. And, and I get to put a little bit of my flavor. And if you ever watch it back, it's very much similar to the Eugene's mannerisms and kind of craziness. And it wasn't a whole lot of time uh, on, on camera that I got to be Doink, but it was fun getting painted up and, and then, uh, Everybody thought it was the Brooklyn Brawler, but then the Brooklyn Brawler came out and beat up Doink, so it was, it was exciting. Did you ever get a chance to meet Matt Bourne? And, uh, I, I think I did. I, I believe I, I met him one time, but it was at one of the uh, uh, Insane Clown Posse Juggalo, uh, one of their big events that they have that uh, it was a little bit out of control and in the middle of a field, so I, I, <laughs> I, I met him one time. A bit blurry. So you had a lot of good experiences in OVW and, of course, a couple stints there. And you also did some time in WCW where you did a few jobs. Tell us about that. Um, I wrestled on the very first Brian Pillman Memorial Show, and that's where I met Terry Taylor. And Terry Taylor at the time was uh, head of talent relations for WCW, and he ended up calling me in. And I did, I think, uh, 13 or 14 events overall. I did. Uh, I was on Nitro twice. I was on Thunder, I think, three times. And I did, you know eight or 10 Saturday nights. And I was, I might've been 21 or 22 years old. And I was just like 
wide-eyed and excited to be there and i got i, I got to meet you know all kinds of people and, and be on nitro when when they were ahead in the ratings in the monday night wars and just i mean it was a dream come true you were there in wcw when it was flourishing and then you were in WWE a couple years later when you still had the likes of The Rock. Triple H was wrestling. Stone Cold was there for a short period of time. Hulk Hogan, that must have been amazing for you. Well, it was Terry Taylor that got released by WCW and rehired by WWE as talent relations. And then he hired me um, to developmental contract in, in WWE. And I, I went up and did a lot of extras and um, a lot of jobs and stuff like that. And yeah, I'd I met The Rock and met Hulk Hogan and, and eventually was in the ring with both of them. So it was, um, I was hired in 1999 and I, I didn't debut as Eugene until 2004. So I had five years of, of not only training some of the future WWE stars, but doing jobs and, and learning as well. You're the best of both worlds. Now, you mentioned that Eugene was your idea. Now, where did you get the idea from? What was the inspiration behind that character? And, and what was Vince's reaction like to hear your, your pitch? Well, it was, it was Rip Rogers that, that gave me the initial idea. Um, Rip said, you know, what about, what about a wrestler that, you know, uh, he's not very social. He, he, he can't tie his own shoes. He, 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 he you know, doesn't have the ability to, to, to really, you know, talk to girls backstage or guys. But the minute he gets in the ring, he can do stuff that he's, he's seen at, since he was a kid. You know, the minute the bell rings, he can turn it on. Because that, that was kind of the, uh, uh, the report on Nick Dinsmore. Is he couldn't do a very good promo, but in the ring, he was, he was, he was flawless. I, I could do an hour Broadway and not use the same hold twice, not, not break a sweat, no, no sweat professional. But it was Rip that kind of gave me the idea. And, um... I was at a point where, like I said, my friends were Rob Conway, Doug Basham, Danny Basham, and they were all got called up. They were all on the road. So all my friends in OVW were gone, but I was still training. I was kind of in a transition period, and I'd seen a lot of the talent. Um, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. I'd seen a lot of the talent complain, and the next thing you know, they're, they're called up to TV. A lot of the guys would, would, would threaten to quit, and the next thing you know, they're, they're on the road. So I thought, well, I'll try it myself. So I told Doug Basham, I said, I think I'm going to quit and try to go to Japan which I really, I, I wouldn't have done because I was living at home. I was traveling less than an hour and a half to all the events that we went to, sleeping in my own bed every night, and I was the top baby face in the company. So, I mean, I, I had the best of everything, but I put that out there, and uh, Doug Basham told Dean Malenko, Dean Malenko told Johnny Ace. Next thing I know, I'm sitting in a meeting with Vince McMahon and Stephanie, and Vince goes, I want to get back to character-based wrestling. And that's when I just blurted out the idea of, of Eugene. Great, we'll start on Monday. So then all of a sudden I had to come up with who this character was, but it was kind of like, uh, you know, I, I kind of learned it on the, you know, on the fly as I was doing it. My first match as Eugene was in St. Louis on a live event and I wrestled Lance Cave. and thank goodness for Lance knew how to wrestle with a gimmick, with a gimmick wrestler because Lance made Eugene look so good. Eugene got beat in his first match, never been on TV and the people were chanting his name at the end of the match. And I just, I, I have to give all kinds of credit to Lance Cade, a very good friend of mine. I love how, just a little bit of a lie, you saw what others were doing and it worked in the end. I don't know if that's the best advice to follow today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tell guys all the time, I mean, you might not do it in that fashion, but the squeaky wheel gets the oil. You have to put out there exactly what you want. Otherwise, sometimes it won't come to you. Absolutely. Give them a reason to look at you. They don't want to lose someone like you. Now, the name Eugene, 
was that molded off of another person that existed? I mean, I've heard stories that there was a special needs son of one of the referees and WWE named Eugene. Were you named after this person or was it just a name that someone came up with on the fly? Lanny, have you ever met Eugene? I'm sure you met Eugene, right? Yes, it's Bucky's son and um, excellent kid. He had Down syndrome. And um, the thing is, the bulldog, the Bulldogs used to rib him mercilessly. And then Harley Race walked up and said, leave the kid alone. And uh, guess what? Eugene liked the Bulldogs better than Harley. You know, it's just, it's the way it is. Huh? And, and Moolah, Moolah, you know. Did you meet Eugene? Yeah, yeah, he, uh, he, he, they live in, uh, in the Pittsburgh area, and he came to a couple events and got him all the Eugene merchandise, and, and he, he was really excited that uh, there was a wrestler with his same name. Yeah, it's, uh, he's, a, he's a terrific guy, and uh, I have very fond memories of Bucky and Eugene. But I, you know what I've really noticed? You talk about Eugene in the third person. In other words, that wasn't you, that was your character. So that was, that was good. I, I appreciate the fact that you understood that there's a line between yourself and the character you're playing. Otherwise, you know, some people play Abraham Lincoln, they won't be satisfied till they get shot. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, it really though, it really came out like I, I when when I would just start doing Eugene. Sometimes stuff would just happen in the ring that felt right, and the people would react. And really, it was like uh, when Jim Carrey talked about playing Andy Kaufman, how he said it just kind of came out of him, and that's really how it felt. It just something that, like even now when, when I go out and perform, it's not the same. Like, I don't, I don't know what it was, but like, it was a, a moment in time, a magical moment in time that just really just, I, I created this body of work that I'm really proud of. And it just, it just came out of me. Believe it or not, you were in my final match of my life, you know, and uh, I keep telling myself that was it, but I'm such a whore, you know, <laughs> if the price is right, I'll be there tonight. You know how it is, but I'm going to be 60, I'm going to be 64 in December. And uh, I don't want to have a chalk outline of my body in the ring. You know, I love wrestling, but I don't want to die with my boots on. I want to die with my white socks and sandals. <laughs> yeah, we had a huge sellout main event match in uh, Minnesota. People were going crazy, screaming for, screaming for the genius, screaming for Lanny. They needed a poem, and he delivered big time. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what, even if they don't scream for it, I'll give it to them anyway. I'll slide it in there. <laughs> Did you deliver a moonsault in that match? No, I certainly did not. <laughs> I believe those days are gone but not forgotten. Now, the character of Eugene was very memorable, and I'm sure kids loved you, especially because you look like you're always having fun. Did you remain in character for any real-life interactions with fans or children? All, all, all the time. Uh, on, on screen, I partnered with William Regal, and we also traveled together as well. Uh, we traveled. It was, it was William and I and Tajiri. So it was like, you know, Barnum Bailey Circus as we were going around. If I noticed that somebody recognized us, I mean, immediately I, I would turn it on. And I usually did all the driving. So I would pull into the parking lot for the events and fans would be lined up at, at the gate, like watching us. And so I would be swerving the car and I'd pull it in and stop abruptly. Regal would uh, fall out of the car holding his chest like, oh, my God, Eugene, I, get I just got my driver's permit. I just got my permit screaming and running around. <laughs> And that, like, like some of the things that we did off screen were, were, were as memorable and as fun as the stuff that we did on screen. Regal's one of my favorites. How was he just to pick his brain and just be around? Oh, it was, I mean, that, that was like, 
I, I watched William Regal uh, as I was training and, and, and as I was a fan because uh, Nick Dinsmore wanted to be a wrestler. And I enjoyed watching, you know, Lord Stephen Regal in WCW because he was, he was an awesome wrestler. But then when I realized, you know, how, how good of a performer he is, and I, I was lucky enough to be on screen with him. If it wasn't for Eric Bischoff and William Regal, Eugene would not have gotten as popular because uh, Eugene was written into a, a, a storyline with, with two great performers that elevated the character. And it was easy for me to just go out and have fun and play and let them du- direct the actual you know, direction of what the segment was supposed to be. But, yeah, to, to be traveling on th- three, four, five-hour car rides and just pick his brain and talk to him um, was, like, um, instrumental in my career. Tell me about Tajiri. How was he like to be with, you know, outside of the ring and as a friend? Oh, Tajiri's great. He, uh, he didn't speak much in the car. He might say one or two things, but they were always like, like, like monumental. He was in the car one time, uh, my wife and I and, and Tajiri and he's riding and he goes, he goes, Stephanie, I rub you. You are rubbery. And he kept saying, you are rubbery. And, and she's like, what, 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 are you, what are you trying to say? Oh, sweetheart. You, he's saying you are lovely. <laughs> he was, he was very funny. And, and and I feel like you know when somebody's uh, when when English is not their first language and you can still bond over comedy and be able to tell jokes for somebody that like Tajiri could understand English and he could speak but he couldn't enunciate that well or at least he didn't act like he did but to be able to tell jokes to one another is like, is like very special he and I are still good friends. That's excellent. Now you had a unique opportunity as Eugene to wrestle with many different move sets and use finishers from the legends like Stone Cold, The Rock, and Hogan. What was your favorite move set or mannerism to portray? Eugene was 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 the ultimate fan, and he, he loved to do the moves that, of the people that he, he, he grew up watching. You know, so yeah, like you said, I, I was in the ring with The Rock, I was in the ring with Hulk Hogan, I even Penn Vincent McMahon. People would go crazy for the uh, for the people's elbow, and the stunner always got a good reaction. Sometimes, um, more recently on on, on uh, independent shows, Eugene would get to a point in the match. What move do you want to see? Do you want to see RKO? Do you want to see uh, 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 John Cena? Do you want to see The Rock? Everybody says Macho Man, and I cannot do the elbow. <laughs> Neither can I. Neither could I. I tried it once, and I just sprained my whole right flank. I don't know how he did it. Exactly. I'm like, oh, my God, that, that has to be brutal each and every night to, to land that thing. Well, toward the end, he couldn't get out of the car. You know, he was having, like, oh. You know, but that's the you know that's the price you pay for the for the life you lead. Absolutely, absolutely. Have you ever busted out some of these moves in the independence post WWE? No, oh, absolutely. That's all I got. I mean, that's that's what the people want to see. They want to see, you know, you do when you do the rock bottom. I'll do it for you. I'll do it for you. You know, it's uh, uh to be able to do all the moves that I, I watched growing up when when I was training some of the guys in, in the developmental. Um, I saw all these, you know, Brock Lesnar and Batista and Cena, and I said, you guys need to be able to know how to take the rock bottom and the stunner and, and the people's elbow and all that, so let's work on it one day. And I remember it was Rip Rogers. Why are you guys doing those moves? You'll, you'll never do those. <laughs> Joke's on you. <laughs> Have you talked to Rip about that afterwards? Yeah, I, I, I talk to Rip every so often. I, I texted him the other day because I saw that he was going to be on, on, uh, on your show, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Yeah, it's a good listen. We can't wait to put it out. Now, the culture these days is a lot more sensitive than, say, like a decade ago. Do you think the Eugene character today would get the green light? Or do you think in this sensitive culture, would it stop it from thriving? Um, well, the thing is, is WWE can get anything over that they want. They can make anything work. They took the mask off of King and they put it back on him and it worked. So if they wanted 
season to to work and, and become world champion, they could definitely make it work. It was um about a year ago. Two uh, Falls hosted SmackDown Live the first time I think live TV had been done here for WWE, and uh, my wife got on as an extra. Dolph Ziggler was 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 doing an impersonation of the Macho Man, and she got to be Miss Elizabeth. And I had heard that in a meeting with Vince, when one of the uh, uh, writers like, well, you know, we're, we're going to use Eugene's wife. And Vince goes, oh, I've been thinking about bringing back Eugene. So uh, if, if Vince wanted it to work, it would, it would definitely work. Do you get called to come in for some, you know, anniversary shows or special appearances? Or do you pop into WWE shows when they're in town? Um, they've only been here two or three times since uh, we moved here in 2015. Um, and I, I have not been and they have not called, but um, I'm still waiting. What brought you over to Sioux Falls? This is where my wife is from. When I was on tour with WWE in 2004, uh, she was on television here. She's she's a, a, a star in the in the Midwest in the uh, Sioux Falls area. She was uh, on television. She did news. She had her own country music television show. She hosted kids club events. And uh, William Regal and I did a commercial spot for her country music show. And uh, I met her, and that was that was it. Hook, line, and sinker. Now, over the years, you've had the chance to share a ring with so many greats. Who were amongst your favorite to work with? I mean, my, my whole career has been my favorite. It's like a, a, a continual high spot that just keeps building. I mean, when uh, when they told me it was uh, it was uh, Sylvain Grenier that was friends with Pat Patterson that said, I think The Rock's going to come in tonight and do something with you in the ring. I'm like, no way. The Rock hasn't been on TV in two years. And there's no way he, he's going to come in for uh, for Eugene. And uh, by by hold, he came in that night in San Diego and uh, blew the roof off the place. And it's like it, 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 I, that was probably the most electric that I've ever felt in in, in the arena. They, they call him the most electrifying man in sports entertainment for a reason. I mean, it was just when he came out, the people went absolutely nuts. But then when they said, "Well, we're going to put you in the ring with Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania," I'm like, "Oh my God!" Staples Center in L.A. Incredible. And then when I wrestled Vince McMahon and Shane in a handicap match and pinned Vince, I mean, it's like these, these, these events, these moments are just like building. It's like, you know, uh, a kid from the Louisville, Kentucky area gets to, you know, live his dream and wrestle guys that he's seen on TV and then, you know, be on center stage with these people. It's, uh, you know, I've had all these great moments, you know, but the best day of my life was the day that I met my wife. Wow, that's a great thing to say. Happy wife, happy life. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Very sweet. Now, was there ever a time you were kind of starstruck or maybe even disappointed after meeting and working with someone during that time? Uh, not really. I mean, everybody that, in my opinion, that works for WWE is is a, a professional all the time. Um, you know, and, it's, and I've... I, uh, I felt like I got along with everybody and felt like, you know, I, I could work with anybody. And it was, you know, I felt, in, in, in my estimation, uh, I want to make our match, our segment, the best that I can make it, the best it is on the show. So I tried to do everything to enhance anybody that was in the segment with me. I was never very selfish. I, I, I didn't care if I got anything or not, because Eugene was still going to be popular regardless of if I got all my moves in or if I got zero. So I wanted to make sure that everybody else in the segment, you know, shined them and, and, and got them, you know, as over as I could. You got over with your personality, uh, let alone the wrestling. So that's what's just like Hacksaw Duggan. Hello. You know, he electrifies the people and the Bushwhackers. They're in that variety, too, where 
everybody's happy because they came. Yes, exactly, exactly. It was, it was, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to talk and do backstage segments where they could meet Eugene and, and they could see my face. And that's what, that's what got me over more than, than any of the moves I did. But then once I got in the ring, once the bell rang, I could, I could compete in there and I could do well. So it was like a, a plus plus. Well, you must have been doing something right to have Jim Cornette on your side, who absolutely loves you, and Vince McMahon, who kept putting you in, in the ring with these legends. So, obviously, you did a fantastic job. Um, I was in the right place at the right time. I was very fortunate. Very thankful, very grateful. Well, you were a good worker as well, and that always helps. Now, with the likes of Hogan, Taker, Triple H, Rock, you name it, around during the time you were there, what was the locker rooms like? Uh, well, like I, I, I didn't do a, a whole lot of uh, extra work. I mean, maybe five to ten times. So I wasn't really integrated in, in their locker room. Um, but I know, like the locker room in OBW was 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 very very brotherly, very friendly, very helpful. And then when I finally did get called up to TV, all the guys that that were in the locker room then, you know, more recently, were the guys that were in the locker room in OBW. So it's pretty a, a seamless transition. It wasn't like a, there was no hazing or any kind of like, you know, anything like that because, you know, Cena, Batista, Orton, all those guys were, were, were in the locker room and they just accepted me right in. So it was, I, I never had any kind of a weird feeling. When I did wrestle for WCW, um, I felt like there was a very, there was two locker rooms. There was the stars and then there was, you know, all the Saturday night guys. And I was just happy to be there. So it, like it wasn't, you know, anything personal to me, but I could definitely feel like there was a, a a separation or, you know, you know, these, these guys get, I, I remember walking in the locker room one time and there's all the NWO guys. I was like, okay, I'm in the wrong one. Better turn around and go, go back out and go to the other one. <laughs> yep. Sorry guys. Hello. Hi, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I have heard a few things about the WCW locker room and, you know, just eggshells. You know, sometimes people talk about that now. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I've never been on the inside, but you know, current day WWE, everyone seems to be getting along. You don't have as many strong personalities or tr- people trying to get themselves over. What do you think is best for business? Happy locker room or having a couple guys there who are, you know, look, we're here to fight to be the best and get out of my way. Well, I, I feel like a, a harmonious locker room is probably the best, but you, I feel like you also have to have guys that are striving to, to be the number one guy. And, and that, that competition is going to sometimes ruffle some feathers. So as long as there's like, you know, like uh, poor, poor natured ribbing. I don't think like that, that, that should be anywhere. You know, guys that are, that are, you know, picking on people or any kind of uh, bullying, but guys, you know, I'm going to go out and, and try to get myself over and be the star of the show and, and try to, you know, make myself the number one guy. I feel like that competition, especially with the guys in, in sports and, and sports entertainment and, you know, the, the nature of caliber of athletes, though to be hires, I mean, these guys are going to go out and, and they want to top each other each and every night. But if it can be a, a friendly, a friendly, you know, rivalry, I think that's definitely what is best. Absolutely. Now, looking back on your career, would you have preferred to run as a feared competitor or are you happy with how your time with WWE went? Um, I feel like if someone's going to be a babyface or a heel, it really has to be what that person is. And although I can portray the heel, I was never... I didn't feel like that was my strongest, you know, my strongest hand. Because I felt like, you know, Eugene would just came out of me. And it was a good-natured, fun-loving, you know, baby face. And I felt like that was my strongest suit. But I would have liked to have had a nice heel run. They tried to turn Eugene heel against Hacksaw. And it just, it, the people didn't really accept it very well. Although, 
I wasn't given the opportunity to really, you know, get some vicious heat on anybody. Uh, uh, so, I mean, I, I would have enjoyed it, but uh, never say never. You know, I, I always come back and, and, and be the top heel if they wanted it to be, if they put the pencil to the paper. Absolutely. I would love to see a heel, Eugene. Not me. I think you're doing great the way you were. You know, I, don't, I can't see it. But prove me wrong. Go ahead and I will admit it. I've been wrong a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I, that's the way I felt. I felt like, you know, the, the people didn't want to see Eugene. It's almost like, you know, Ronald McDonald trying to be a heel. It's just the people, it's, they wanted to laugh. They wanted to smile. I was, uh, at the time that I started on TV, uh, everybody wanted to be a strong, cool heel. It was post-Stone Cold, post-NWO, and everybody wanted to be a strong, cool heel. And I wanted to do completely the opposite. I was going to do, you know, uh, comedy high spots and trying to make people laugh and be a sympathetic underdog babyface because that was nowhere on the card. I wanted to be a kid's character because the only kid's character they had was Hurricane, but they had two shows at the time with SmackDown and Raw. So it's like, you know, I, I knew that I could have one whole show and be a, a dominant, you know, a character for that target audience. Now, do you feel your role as Eugene, did it help your post-WWE career? Or do you feel kind of limited with what you could do character-wise outside of New York? Oh, no, without a doubt. I mean, before Eugene, a handful of people in, in Louisville, Kentucky, knew who Nick Dinsmore was. But after Eugene, I mean, uh, I mean, every wrestling fan, every WWE fan in the WWE universe knows who Eugene is. So it definitely, definitely helped my career. A friend of ours, Kevin Meeker, he does all the logos. He's got a YouTube page called Miserable Hair People. He asks, what was the worst crowd reaction you ever got, and why was it ECW One Night Stand? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say it was the worst. It was a really good reaction, um, and I even got to read a poem. But, yeah, I was uh, the fans were handing Sandman Singapore canes to beat me with, and it was, uh, it was a hostile crowd, and I think they, they would have liked to see Eugene strung up by his toes um you know inside as a performer i'm like this reaction is great but it was a little bit scary <laughs> on the edge of you know i i i just i didn't want to go too far and get too much heat because uh uh not that eugene could could uh, start a riot but it was uh it was a hostile environment for sure have you been around i mean in wwe or not what was the most hostile crowd you've been around did you see any riots or anything close to it uh the, it was that crazy it was that crowd right there when, when uh, like John Cena and I are, are very good friends. And when he went out that night, I was standing right by the, the, the door because those people wanted to riot. I, I, I feel like when, uh, when RVD won, those fans were almost let down because I feel like they wanted to fight. They wanted to hit the ring and they wanted to riot. And when they didn't get that opportunity, it was like, oh, well, we're happy, but we wanted to beat somebody up. And that was the, definitely the, the most hostile crowd I, I've ever been around. What's life been like for you since leaving WWE? And tell us a bit about Midwest All-Pro Wrestling. Uh, well, Eugene was on TV from 2004. Last appearance was in 2009. Uh, I got rehired in 2012, and I was a coach in Orlando at the Performance Center until 2015 when uh, my wife and I moved back here to Sioux Falls, where she's from, and I wanted to, I wanted to start my own wrestling company. It's, it's kind of something I always wanted to do. I, I, I was... Um, very good at coaching. So I wanted to coach my own team and run my own territory. And uh, I don't know, it's, 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 we've been uh, in business here for three years now. Um, we're building, we're making a name for ourselves and we're, you know, sprouting the territory and touring. And um, just, I mean, really, it's, it's a dream come true. 
Let me tell you, it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. And that's just not me saying that. You have a reputation. Everybody loves you. And I can't say the same for JP or myself, but you know, I'm just kidding. Okay. No, really, uh, you know, you're, I hear great things about you and I'm very, very proud of you, your success. And it hasn't gone to your head. You're a performer that can play all characters. You can be a heel. You can be a baby face. You know, I didn't mean to say that you couldn't be a heel. They said Leaping Lanny could never be a heel and I proved them wrong, but I had to reinvent myself. And that's what you have to do if you want to be a heel. Absolutely. Thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. What was it like when you worked as a trainer in NXT? I mean, like the, the performance center, I'm, I'm sure everybody's seen the videos on it and the specials that they've done, but it was a, a multi-million dollar complex patterned after the NFL training centers. And it was like the very, the best of the best. I mean, you could at any point go into the, the coach's locker room and have, you know, 60 years worth of knowledge from, from all the coaches that were in there. And then all the technology that WWE has, they can pull up pretty much any video instantaneously. And, you know, you, you could talk at the time when Dusty Rhodes was there and then Terry Taylor was there and, and Billy Gunn and all these people that you could draw, you know, draw, draw uh, uh, experience from. I mean, I, I, I was just excited. I, I was almost like one of the talent because I, I was learning so much. It enhanced my career as a, as a coach, as a performer, but as a promoter as well. The current batch of up-and-coming wrestlers really got it good if they're in the WWE system. I mean, it's nothing like how it was in the past, is it? No, no. Like, the in OVW, the, the building that we ran was, was modest, to put it nicely. Um, there was no heat. There was no air conditioning. Um, and it was hot during the summer and cold during the winter. But that's, that's the way you learned. You learned in the ring by experience. And now you've really got the best of the best. I don't necessarily know which one is better, but... Uh, what WWE has now is, is definitely spectacular. And, it's, you know, uh, the, the story that I heard was when Triple H was transitioning from uh, primarily an on-air performer to uh, office, that Vince had him go around to each of the departments. You know, you're going to go to marketing. You're going to go to payroll. You're going to go to uh, this and this and give a report back on, on how that department works. And from what I heard, Triple H is like, well, everything is, is spectacular. It, it all has a, a, a mark of excellence, WWE mark of excellence. But that developmental system's a little bit messed up because, I mean, at the time it was a, it was an independent wrestling company that WWE was using to train their their uh, talent, and then Vince goes, okay, well you'll be in charge of that. So all of a sudden now Triple H had to got to you know reinvent the whole developmental system and give it that that mark of excellence that WWE has across the board on everything. I never heard that Triple H went and witnessed all the different rules that WWE was doing, you know, going into the finance section, going into the performance side. I think that's great. Obviously training them up to take the helm at some point down the line. Well, I mean, it was a transition for, for a lot of us to go from, like I said, an indie wrestling company to then the bright lights of, of, of WWE and, and to make that, you know, from the get go, if you're going to hire world-class talent and world-class, you know, performers, you can't send them to a, 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 a building that has mice and rats and, and there's no air conditioning, although I love that building, and that's where I was trained, um, I understood, you know, Triple H is like, we have to set that mark of excellence, you know, from the minute we hire. If you're going to get some guy that was in the NFL, and he's going to come in here, it's difficult to, you know, go a step down. I hope that comes off correctly, because I don't want to diminish anything that, that, you know, the way I trained, but um, it's that mark of excellence that WWE has across the board that, that makes them the number one 
sports entertainment company of all time. Absolutely. You can only make a first impression once. Exactly. Now, I want to give the interviewer role over to you now. You mentioned on Twitter that you've listened to all of our shows. Thank you, by the way. That's amazing. And that you have some questions of your own for Lanny. Take it away. Lanny, why did, why did ICW end up in Lexington? Damned if I know. <laughs> no, really. I was the last guy on the, on the squad. You know, uh, I was supposed to go to Los Angeles. I was all set to have an angle with the Guerreros, thanks to my friendship with Rowdy Roddy Piper. Have you ever met him? Absolutely, absolutely. It's one of my favorite pictures I have. It's me with Hot Rod. Yeah, he said, I, I was there with, uh, I was there in Portland, Oregon, and he said, Lanny, I got an idea for you. Uh, you go to uh, Los Angeles, you work with the Guerreros, and, you know, it'll be great for you. So I was working on my Spanish, you know, so I could insult the people, get cheap heat, probably get stabbed and everything. And right when I was about to go, I had to call up Mike LaBelle and say, I'm sorry, I can't go. I have to go to the ICW. And they were in Nashville, but then they decided to go to Lexington, Kentucky. It was not my decision. And then um, that's how we wound up there. I I was the uh, beta male of the team. You know, I was on, everybody was alpha. But now that everybody's gone, I've become the alpha male because of uh, no competition. But... Um, Anyway, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I do love Lexington. It's a it's a tremendous place, just like you love Sioux Falls. Because I, I, I was born in Lexington, and I, I grew up in Louisville. And as I grew up, I, I met many people that had, had, had met, you know, the Poffo family as, as, as the territory. Did you guys live in Lexington? Yes. Now, I lived there for about six years. Now, let me ask you, you said you met me at Market Square Arena. That's in Indianapolis. When were you there? When were you in Hoosier? Um, so I was born in Lexington, and then I recently lived in Louisville. But my dad worked for a, a company that was based in Greencastle, Indiana. So we lived near Indianapolis until I was about eleven, and then we moved to Louisville. But that was that, that was the closest arena that I got to got to go to as a kid was Market Square Arena. So you're a Hoosier at heart. I'm I'm, I'm both. I'm a Wildcat. I'm a, I'm a, a Bluegrass and and a and a, a Hoosier as well. Yes. Well, you've been such a great interview. I want to do something for you, and uh, just sit back and um, bathe in all the luxury of my poetic voice. Are you ready? Absolutely. Back home again in Indiana, and it seems that I can see a flickering candlelight still burning bright through the sycamores for me. The new mown hay spreads all its fragrance on the fields I used to roam. When I dream about the moonlight on the Wabash, how I long for my Indiana home. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Gentlemen, start your engines. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So on a previous episode, uh, you were remarking what a quality uh, human being Randy Savage was, and I agree. And you had said that he had never been arrested. I've heard a story of an incident in a Waffle House in Nashville. Awesome. I'm glad you brought this up. No, no, I never said I never said he had never been arrested. I said he had seldom been arrested. Oh, <laughs> did you see how he, he slipped he, that word in now? I slipped that in there. No, the, he was a uh, he was arrested in a Waffle House. I think. Uh, do you know the story, or should I tell it? You better tell it, and I'll correct you. Supposedly, Rip Rogers and Dutch Mantell were there, so I've heard it from both of them. But uh, a gentleman came in that had just been married, and he was yelling, he was being loud in the in the Waffle House, saying, "I just got married," and 
apparently Randy was hungry and he, he, he didn't want to hear it. And he, he piped off to him and a little argument ensued. And I don't know exactly what happened, but then the police were called and Randy was apparently held up with a, a, a Waffle House steak knife and they let the, uh, the police dog go on him. And uh, he, he didn't sell for any of the police officers, but he had to sell for the dog. Well, I'll tell you what. Boys and girls, if you're listening, please don't resist arrest. And if you ever have to go to court, don't be held in contempt of court. So um, there comes a time when you should be macho. But when the police are there, leave that macho beast. Just just let them go. Let them. And you have the right to remain silent. How's that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What do you think? They call me the genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite stories we we actually have that up on prowrestlingstories.com and you know it goes from the beginning where he just wants to sit down and enjoy his food in peace and then you know this cowboy comes in he just got married and he's gloating to the staff i want to know why the guy who just got married was at the waffle house and not with his bride the only thing wrong with your story eugene is that um he was no gentleman. You say a gentleman walked into a wolf. You were you were being nice, but uh, I'm sure it was one of those rednecks. But uh, I wasn't there. But if I had been there, you can be sure that I would have been under the furniture. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't mess with those police dog bites. My God, that must have hurt. How was the healing process for Randy? Do you know Lenny? I don't know. You know something? I never felt comfortable to ask him. Okay. Fair enough. It's like it was a it was a bad it was a bad day at Black Rock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, check that out at ProWrestlingStories.com, guys. Just look up Randy Savage Waffle House, and it'll show up. Before we go, do you keep in touch with any of the guys these days? Uh, I mean, there, there's a few guys. Like I'll, I'll talk to Rob Conway or Rip Rogers. I'll, I'll text John Cena every now and then. Um, when I was a coach, I, I got to know like uh, Braun Strowman and Elias and Chad Gable. So anytime I see those guys on TV, I'll usually send them a text, you know, to tell them how, how good they're doing. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a few guys. And then as well as, as promoting Midwest All Pro Wrestling, I brought in, um, you know, uh, Carlito came in, X-Pac came in, Brennan Tatanka, Eric Bischoff came in. The people of, of Sioux Falls are, are dying to see the genius. So there's going to be a day when the genius comes in and reads a poem right here in Sioux Falls. Well, I, th- I think Eric Bischoff can drive from where he lives, can't he? Um, it's it, it, Well, from where he is in uh, uh, Wyoming, right? It, it was a good 12-hour drive, but it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's pretty far, I think. Oh, okay. I didn't know because, you know, the West has got bigger states and bigger rectangles. So <laughs> it's hard for me to tell. Yes. So, uh, I'll tell you what, what a great interview you were. Uh, wasn't he great, JP? Loved it. Where can people find you on social media? Um, Eugene is on Twitter, at the letter U, G-E-N-E, Dinsmore is my last name, D-I-N-S-M-O-R-E, at Eugene Dinsmore. Um, Midwest All Pro Wrestling is at Midwest All Pro, uh, as well as Facebook, Midwest All Pro, our YouTube channel, Midwest All Pro. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty... Uh, I, I do a lot of the tweeting with Eugene, and I'm constantly on Midwest All Pro trying to build our social media fan base. Well, we're going to do our best to plug that. And, you know, you've been an awesome guest. Thank you so much for all your support that you've given our show. And we hope to have you on again soon. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? Lanny, one thing. Thank you for um, deciding to put Randy in the, in the Hall of Fame or allowing WWE to put him in the Hall of Fame. I've heard you talk that it was kind of a decision that you had to make. And 
for the fans that grew up, you know, loving watching Macho Man, it was, I would I, I, I like to say thank you, and I feel like you made the right decision. Well, thank you, because, um, you know, that means a lot to me, because naturally, once I make up my mind, I'm full of indecision. You know, it wasn't what Randy wanted, but I thought that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one, as in Star Trek. You know, you were talking about the Hall of Fame. I believe that Eugene should be in the Hall of Fame, and I got a question for you. Where the hell is Rick Martell? Why isn't he in the goddamn Hall of Fame? Exactly, exactly. Rick Martell was one of my favorites growing up. I like the Canham connection. I like the AWA World Champion Rick Martell. I like the uh, the scent, arrogance, tomato Rick Martell. Yeah, they said he couldn't be a heel. He sure proved him wrong. Absolutely, he's phenomenal across the board. Yeah, I wish they just put him in the Hall of Fame before he expires. You know, they always wait for people to die. You know, I want to see them get it now. You know. It's like people say I had a good speech at the Hall of Fame. Wouldn't it have been better if Randy were there? You know, he should have given the last oh yeah. And that would have been, you know, that's what he deserved and that's what the people deserved. I want to say thank you for your contribution to the wrestling. You brought joy to millions of people and you brought joy to our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Been a pleasure. We'll talk soon. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. I feel like a broken record here because every time we have a guest on our show, I say they're the nicest person in professional wrestling. But I got to say, Nick Dinsmore was an absolute consummate gentleman, and he really gave us some great stories. That's right. And you know why? Because we never interrupted any of our guests. We let them talk. And that, you know, makes me mad when you ask a question. It's like Merv Griffin's show. Like, oh, you know, like, hey, listen, give me a chance to answer the question. We let him go. You know, he's great on the mic. So let's, you know, like Jim Duggan and uh, Rip Rogers, you don't have to uh, interrupt them. You can just let them go. The one thing I took from it was that he was a fan before going into WWE and he had the chance to wrestle with all the greats. And I know if I was in that situation, I would have been starstruck. And for him to go out there and absolutely just do a phenomenal job, as you said, there is a place for him in the WWE Hall of Fame. And I hope that we see that soon. I think it would be a big pop for the crowd. And he's still young, you know, still life left in him. So perhaps one day soon, we'll see him on WWE television. He certainly deserves it. That's right. Now we're going to go to the fan questions of the week. Joseph E. Molinaro on Twitter asks, Mr. Poffo, if you can go back in time and hit one person between the eyes with the Frisbee, who would it be? I promise not to tell. Oh, let me think. Uh, Every that Jay Strongbow and hit him in that big nose of his. I knew we'd go there. <laughs> Who else would you hit in the right between the eyes? Well, the frisbee's not really a good murder weapon, you know. It's like kind of sores, you know. But um, I, let me see. Um, well, we're not here to kill anyone. Just to just knock him in the face. <laughs> I'd say Ole Anderson certainly deserves it. Yeah, not exactly the nicest person on all accounts. No, and he had this thing, uh, I was the greatest and everybody else sucked. He has that uh, opinion of himself, which is a great way to walk into a room. Jimmy Marino wrote in saying he's currently reading Hulk Hogan's autobiography from 2002. He read a passage on Iron Mike Sharp. In the book, 
Hogan mentions that Sharp would usually be one of the first to wrestle on the card, but be one of the last out the door, and he'd even sometimes get locked in the stadiums due to taking so long in the showers. He was said to always have a bag full of sticks of deodorant, and it wasn't uncommon for him to use a whole stick of deodorant per arm, take a shower afterwards, and then use up another roll of deodorant afterwards. Do you have any stories about Iron Mike and his OCD? Yes, he had OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. That's the only way to say it. He used to wear sans about slacks. And then when I'd be riding with him, uh, we'd get out of the car and uh, either get gas, which he would wear gloves to pump his car. Okay. And then um, he would uh, like, before he would go into the convenience store, he would pat himself on the leg, uh, on the thigh, like pat, 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 like, uh, and he'd never go to the store. He'd be patting his leg like he had lint on his leg, but it was invisible. Um, and I, you know, I'd be in and out by the time he was done patting himself, you know. So, and then I, one of the, um, I almost did something that is an unwritten rule of that should be in life, but it is in the wrestling business. We were in Lake Placid, New York, and we were at the time I lived in um, Staten Island. And he lived in Woodbridge, New Jersey. So he was dropping me off in Staten Island. But it's quite a long trip. And I was feeling drowsy. And he was driving. And the conversation was so boring that I was starting to fall asleep. Well, you're not supposed to fall asleep. You're supposed to keep the guy company if it's just you and him. Right. Right? I mean, it's just common sense. Keep the guy awake. So the conversation was boring. And I was sleepy and I couldn't take it another mile. So finally, I decided to ask him a question I always wanted to ask. Do you eat pussy, Mike? <laughs> yeah, wait a minute. Ha, 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 ha. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, that's a personal question. Uh, ha, ha, ha. And I said, well, the reason I asked is because you're such a germaphobe. You know, I mean, how long does it take you to prep the vagina before you go down on it? I mean, do you wear a bib, you know, like from Red Lobster? I mean, how do you do that? And how does a man like you go about that? Oh, it's personal, Lanny, it's personal. Ha, 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 ha. You know, I said, oh, okay, I guess I'm not going to get the answer, but at least I kept him awake so we weren't uh, go off the road and, you know, kill ourselves. You know, um, one of the guys that were friends, uh, um, it was um, Gorilla Monsoon's son, um, Joey right. Morella. He died. He died. He fell asleep at the wheel. People fall. People fall asleep at the wheel a lot, and uh, they don't even have to be drinking or on drugs. Sometimes they just fall asleep. If you get tired enough, sleep becomes not optional. It becomes mandatory. So I try to keep them awake with a, you know, I don't mean to be gross for the fans, but it's what I asked him, and uh, he, oh, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, ha ha ha, love Mike Sharp. What a nice person. But he was a slave to his OCD. Do you have any Joey Morella stories? Well, he was a great baseball player. And, um, you know, he could have been a great pitcher. It's just that, you know how it is. There's a lot of great pitchers that never got to pitch in the big time. So I don't know what stopped him. But um, he, was, uh, he was quite an athlete and a great referee and a good guy. Rest his soul. I mean, that was that's a sad story. You know, with the amount of hours you guys did on the road to fall asleep, I'm surprised it didn't happen more often. Did Vince make any changes as a result of that death? 
Uh, he, I was actually, I had been wished my future endeavors, good luck in my future endeavors long before he got killed on the road. So I have no idea. Now I'm going to go back. You know, the fact that you asked Sharp if he ate pussy, it reminded me of a story that about Nikolai Volkov. Evan Ginsberg, our good friend, he wrote a piece on ProWrestlingStories.com and he was talking about a time when Tito Santana and Nikolai Volkov were in the ring when they were in a hold. And Nikolai turns over to the ref and says, ask him, ask him, ref. And so the ref bent over and asked him, hey, Tito, do you eat pussy? And they both broke out laughing and it was hard for them to keep their exposure afterwards. It's one of those subtle and innocent ribs that I like. I mean, you, you talk about not liking ribs. That's one of the more funny ones that I've heard. Yeah, as long as the fans don't hear it, I think it's okay. So uh, nobody got hurt. Everybody's happy. Absolutely. One of our listeners named Brian wrote in saying, Your father, Angelo, did 6,033 consecutive sit-ups and made it into Ripley's Believe It or Not for breaking the sit-up record. Did you ever break any records in the gym, Lanny? I broke the record for the shortest workouts. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. No, I believe in train, don't strain. Okay, and um, if you do something six thousand thirty-three consecutive times, wow, you was you're as OCD as Mike Sharp. How was your father after doing that? He must have been in a lot of pain. I wasn't born yet. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I don't I don't know how he was. Now that's still incredible. If you have any questions that you'd like Lanny to answer on our show. Hit up Twitter using the hashtag AskTheGenius. We'll peruse that hashtag daily and we'll put your questions in our show. Before we close on this week's episode, do you have any words for our listeners? Yes, I do. Be humble when victorious. Be noble in defeat. Be there when your neighbor hasn't got enough to eat. Try to love your enemies and always be aware that in the Super Bowl of life, the tortoise beats the hare. And with that, we end this week's episode of the Genius Cast. Let us know what you think on social media at the Genius Cast. Send us an email at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com and tell 17 friends. That's it for now. Take care and goodbye. Goodbye. I just want to say not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this genius cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get both of Lanny's shirts for sale. You've got the Black Machismo Jay Lethal on one side and you've got Lanny on the other. And also, don't forget the new Genius Glow shirt for sale. You'll look great in front of your friends and you'll get a shout out on our show. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. 
We had a lot of fun this week, and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. Listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka. If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time. <laughs>